Welcome back to the commentary for The Underwater Menace. This is the Perpetual Outsider podcast. I'm John Bensalia, and I will be commentating on episode two of The Underwater Menace today. Um, just a quick reminder, I'm on Patreon, uh, www.patreon.com forward slash John Bensalia. I'll try saying that 10 times fast. But without further ado, this is the uh, the free alternative which all these podcasts are free, um, but uh, you will be you can hear on Patreon. Uh, uh, hopefully, by uh, hopefully in a year's time, all of the uh, the new Who podcasts. Oh, I really hate seeing you Who, but anyway, let's get on with the Underwater Menace. Counting down in five, four, three, two, one, go, and it comes up on cue. Now then, this was. Uh, a missing episode discovery. It was discovered in um, 2011, which was uh, 44 years after it was uh, after it first went out, and it was lost in the mist of time in, uh, in the mid 1970s. And it's yeah, I mean it's it's wonderful to have it back, and I think it actually adds a little bit of credibility to the underwater menace because, as I said before, its reputation has taken uh, quite a bit of a battering over the years. But it's great to have it back. I think it was discovered by a guy called Terry Burnett, who returned this one along with episode three of Galaxy 4. And it it was great to have. Uh, But the downside of it was that for about three years, it wasn't commercially available, which was is is just bizarre, really. Um, You know, any any missing episode should be released. I mean, I, I, I don't know why it was. The only way you could actually watch it was to actually go on um, a certain video channel and watch it on there. Um, which, uh, which to be honest, um, if well, if, if you're not going to release it commercially, um, the BBC have got no one but themselves to blame, quite frankly, if, you know, if you're getting to get into copyright squabbles. And it, it took about... Uh, about three and a half years for it to actually be released on DVD, which is uh, which is just stupid, really. Of course, you know a, couple, a few elite fans could have seen it in, uh, at a special screening in uh, December two thousand and eleven, but uh, us plebs had to make do with uh, going on the the video channel. But you know, us plebs can now watch it as well in great comfort on the on the small screen. But it's it's great to have it back. It's uh, it's it's a actually quite a good little episode, I think. And I think what really makes it work is Patrick Troughton because he's you're constantly. It's like you can't really take your eyes off him because he's constantly doing something. Like even being in the background, his facial expressions and uh, the mannerisms. I mean, it's you know even when he's not speaking, it's pure Buster Keaton. It's kind of like you know. A great homage to those silent, silent movie stars, in which he kind of relies on facial. You know, look at him now. You know, facial expressions. He's constantly taking in, and he's mesmerising. You know, he's just an absolutely superb doctor. I mean, that you know, and this is wonderful kind of childlike innocence to the way he breaks off uh, something off that danger panel, that danger control bank, which of course saves the day of uh, Polly being turned into a fish. There was a little bit of footage around from this because the Australian censors cut out um, very various uh, scenes from the Patrick Troughton years, 
and I think a couple of William Hartnell ones too, which they thought were too violent for for broadcast. They were they weren't really suitable. So the bit where Polly was about to be turned into a fish, they uh, they cut uh, they cut that out. And they stuck it onto basically, you know, kind of like equivalent of a gag reel. So you had this and you had various clips like, you know, the Fury from the Deep one where uh, Oak and Quill overpower Maggie. That was in that was in the um, the reel. A um, few clips from the Web of Fear. A um, couple of clips from Wheeling Space, I think, where Duggan kills himself. And when um, Flanagan gets into a fight with uh, possessed crew members. That was on there. But anyway, that was the only surviving footage we had. But out of the blue, um, along came uh, Underwater Menace. So thank you, Terry Burnett. And of course, Patrick Shouten acting his socks off here. I, I just, such a captivating performance. And as an earlier surviving, you know, this is Charlton's early surviving episode. And I, th I think it's a good showcase for his doctor because he gets to be funny, he gets to be clever and just gets to be the doctor all round. It's, it's just such a wonderful doctorish performance. And even Joseph Forstander plays it a little. You know, it's not quite as over the top as it is in uh, in episode three, which I think might account for you know why why the story is not really that highly regarded by uh, by fans of Doctor Who. But yeah, like I said in the previous uh, the previous episode commentary, Patrick Troughton's Doctor actually looks quite quite normal compared to Zaroff because he's uh, because of his ridiculous plan. Yeah, as, as as far as motivation goes, I mean, I, I don't really think Zaroff's plan is actually much cop. I mean, he, he basically just wants to blow up the world. I mean, it's just not really... I mean, you, you're not exactly going to be alive to actually appreciate the success of it, are you? I mean, even if he hides in a nuclear bunker or, or the equivalent of a nuclear bunker, I mean, well, you're not really going to have anything, you know, anything to conquer. You know, everybody's going to be dead when you when you emerge from the bunker and uh you know you can't all the money will be gone you can't crow your success to anyone you know it's uh it's just a stupid plan but i think um i think the background for his kind of you know insanity it, it was unfortunately a line was lost in which he explained that he lost his family a few years before so i, I think that tipped him over the edge but they uh, they foolishly missed it out, which um, which would explain a lot. Yeah, things like that you don't get on the uh, on the recons. You know, there's there's no way of getting Patrick Chan just suddenly clapped his hands and you know just said bang bang just like that. And a lot um, he'll do uh, he'll do a similar kind of thing later when he talks about um, Zaroff's insanity and how he must be stopped. He'll do a really good kind of like. Um, Silent, you know, silent comedy movie action, which uh, which we'll talk about later. Moving along to the mines, um, yeah, Jay, Jamie and Ben just don't really get a, an awful lot to do, do they? Just kind of mooching about these mines, um, and you know, sort of forming this rather unlikely friendship with uh, uh, two others, two other prisoners. I forget their names. Yeah, I think one of them, I think, is P.G. Stevens, who I know 
was in Only Fools and Horses, which was in, um, I think he's in, is it The Miracle of Peckham? I forget, but he he, play, he plays a vicar in that. And, he, you know, Dale's trying to con the vicar, you know, by, uh, by uh, forging a very kind of elaborate miracle with, uh, with tears coming from a, from a statue. But yeah, the, the, you know, the, the incidental characters, it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag, I think, in this one. You know, there's, there's no real kind of... Um, I, I don't think they're that memorable. And I, I don't think... And when they are, of course, you know, like Zaroff, they're, they're just... Uh, you know, they're so over the top, it beggars belief, really. But, um, yeah, of course, Fraser Hines and uh, Michael Craze, of course, having to share the lines. Yeah, I, I think if, if I was Michael Craze, I think I would have been a little bit peeved that, uh, that um, something new was coming in to, you know, take, you know, take some of the lines away. I think maybe, I don't, I don't know if he knew that, that the writing was on the wall for, uh, for Ben at this point, but... Yeah, I, I, I do think, yeah, both Michael Craze and Annika Wills got a real raw deal, I think, with uh, with their characters. <laughs> That's a great, you know, great facial expression from uh, Patrick Troughton there. Wonderful. Sorry, I'm, I'm not laughing at the raw deal that uh, Michael Craze and Annika Wills got. I, I, I do think it is a shame that they uh, they got shunted off so uh, so abruptly in the face of the spines. <laughs> Yeah, the second Doctor, he's, he's, he's like an overgrown schoolboy. You know, he's messing about with all these stink bombs and smoke bombs. And uh, it's it's that kind of childlike glee that I think appeals to so many. And I think he's such a popular Doctor. Without going too over the top, it's it's such a kind of natural performance, which I think, not mentioning any names, but I think one or two Monday Doctors don't really kind of grasp. I think, you know, it just sort of uh, kind of tends to go into too much mugging and over the top squawking and uh, shouting really it's Ara again saving the day Ara really should have got her own you know big finish they're missing the trick with not doing the adventures of Ara you know they could do Ara superwoman or something like that you know because she's she's always saving the day and helping everybody out and uh Ben and uh, Jamie, they've got these paper plates full of plankton. They look like they're at, um, they look like they're at a buffet, actually. They've gone to somebody's, um, you know, Zaroff's birthday party or something, you know. And uh, oh, what have you got to eat there? Oh, it's everybody's favourite. It's plankton. Help yourself. Help yourself to a plate of plankton and eat all you can eat there. Ugh. But it's, it's very kind of, you know, for prisoners or whatever, you know, doing the work, it's very kind of genteel. You know, there's, there's no, uh, there's no angry, uh, no angry boss barking orders or whatever. And when he does, you know, and when he does attempt to bark orders, he just kind of, you know, does it in a very half-assed way. Oh, right, put the plates down. Obviously, that buffet didn't go down very well. Oh, here's the boss, you can tell, because he's got a smarter jacket. I mean, it, they look like they're working on a building site, actually. Okay, 
Yeah, I, I, rem- I remember in the days before the episode was discovered, and I would, you know, if, if ever I was doing like a complete rewatch of Doctor Who episodes, I couldn't really tell, you know, again, what was going on because, you know, because still images were quite difficult to get a grasp on. Oh, I don't need you. Yeah, yeah, get out of my way. Yeah, not wanted. I mean, this guy, this uh, this leader guy, he's, he's really not much cop, is he? Uh, par- apparently, Ralph Watson is in this episode, uh, but I, d- I I don't remember seeing him. Um, I don't know if he's in this episode or in episode four. I, d- I don't know, but I I really don't remember seeing him. Ralph Watson, of course, would be uh, Captain Knight in the Web of Fear, Edison, Monster of Peladon, and Ben in Horrifying Rock. But I don't remember seeing him in this. <laughs> Yeah, how how does that big boss not notice that they made their they made their escape there? You know, he he doesn't even notice that you know that four four of his workers have gone missing. I mean, laziest boss ever. Terrible. Yeah, again, the, the the design work is actually not that bad. I, I think that it's actually quite good because I think. The Underwater Menace does kind of suffer from uh, the reputation of it being quite cheap, you know, quite cheap and cheerful. But actually, the, the designs of it are quite quite large scale, I think. Doctor now doing his, uh, his dressing up routine, the first of many in the story, actually. So, plastic Mac. Yeah, Patrick Charlton taking it, you know, quite quite a bit more seriously, actually. Um, he's, um, I, I think he, I think he was great in Power of the Daleks. Don't get me wrong, but I think you know, the, I think the script probably called for him to be a lot more contrasting with William Hartnell's Doctor, who was very serious and austere. And I think there was probably the need to kind of make this very obvious contrast between the two so hence the emphasis on a bit more clowning but by now he can you know he can be his own doctor and he can he can still have those clowning elements but kind of introduce you know a little bit more drama a bit more levity a bit more gravitas to it and and I i think it's it's a good balance here yeah the underwater menace i i don't really have that many memories of it um, because obviously this was broadcast before I was born. But I don't remember reading the book as a kid. I, I remember seeing it in the local library, and I don't actually. I mean, I wasn't a kid. I was I was a teenager by the time uh, it was released as a book, and I remember seeing it in the library, but I don't remember borrowing it. And I, you know, I, I still don't have it in my uh, in my book collection. There's a there's an underwater menace shaped hole in my uh, on my bookshelf. Um, so the f- the first experience I had, I did have of it, would have been um, uh, the Lost in Time DVD, which uh, which I think I bought in July two thousand and five. Um, yeah, yeah, it would have been that. So that that was um, it's it's kind of quite a 
I suppose it's, you know, for one of the better word, you know, better phrase, it's kind of like more of a lost story to me. I, I, you know, I didn't really, it's not one of those like pyramids and miles of robots of death, which I watched as a kid, you know, a lot. You know, so it's still reasonably quite new in, new in my mind. You know, like a, a, a lot of the, the black and white stuff is because I didn't really have as much experience of it, um, you know, watching the episodes as a kid. This is quite a nice scene where the Doctor demonstrates um, Zaroff's plan through a boiling pot, which uh, which suddenly explodes. But um, yeah, R Ramo does suddenly go over to the Doctor's side quite easily. Quite quite why I don't know because you know for all for all Ramo knows the Doctor could be uh, even worse a madman than uh, than Zaroff. But obviously he trusts him. Does he say I would like a hat like that in this? I would like a hat like that is uh, is is one of the other doctor's catch catchphrases which which didn't really catch on. Like I said before, I, I, I think if you give the doctor catchphrases, it it just reduces the credibility. You know, it just turns him turns him into a character from The Simpsons, really. You know, that Alonzi and Geronimo and fantastic crap. You know, it's just ah rubbish. Oh, there he goes. How does God? I'm I'm amazed that hat doesn't have a doctor's eye out with the way it's uh, very strange. Yeah, this this is a good episode, I think. It, you know, it trots along quite nicely. It's uh, it's it's probably um... oh, there's the recorder. I, I think along with episode four, I think it's probably the best because episode four has got you know, it's got the final destruction of Atlantis, and it's uh, you know, it's uh, it's got a lot you know a little bit more drama and urgency, I think, than the. Uh, I mean, say episode three, for example. Although I've got to say, this is a, a little bit, a little bit of padding, I think, with uh, Ben and Jamie and the other two uh, prisoners. They they just it, it doesn't really go anywhere. I mean, they just sort of mooch about in in these tunnels. I mean, it's kind of like the most laboured escape plan ever. The doctor's yeah. The doctor finally gets his hat and his headgear. <laughs> the doctor takes such glee in that hat. <laughs> See, facial expression again. You know, the way he goes from that childlike glee to suddenly thinking, you know, sort of thinking, okay, right, yeah, I've got to tone down this uh, this childlike glee. We're on film now. See, I, I was quite naive because um, um, before I got my first um, black and white DVD, I used to think everything was on film because all that survived in the archives were these kind of like uh, these film recordings, telly recordings. And I hadn't realised that it was filmed exactly the way it was, you know, 
like in the 70s and the 80s, where you mixed um, film and video. And I foolishly thought it was all filmed on film. Um, so I, I was amazed when I got the, it was uh, Seeds of Death, that was it. Yeah, the first uh, first DVD I bought was uh, Seeds of Death. And I was amazed at this pristine mix between uh, the film and the video. I thought, oh my God, this, you know, it looks like it's been filmed yesterday. Amazing. And um, yeah, the, they they use a technical vid buyer. I'm not quite sure how they do it, but they uh, they restore it back to how it, it was originally broadcast, which is uh, the mix of film and video. And it, you know, like the uh, the the recovered episodes look uh, look in pristine condition. Actually, really amazing. Unlike this uh, rather clumsy uh, attempt at peril with Jamie halfway down a cliff. I'm not really quite sure what the point of that was. I think they probably needed to bulk out the episode a bit. Yeah, poor old Annika Wills gets. She's got nothing to work with here, has she? I mean, when she, when she, when the script clattered through her, her door, you know, um, onto the onto the mat through the letterbox. I mean, I, I can't can't picture her being that enchanted with her, you know, her reading it, you know, because it, she gets so little to do in this in this story. So it's, it's a real come down after the Highlanders. It's uh, a pretty shoddy treatment. It's you know, I mean, if if we're going to go all kind of, you know, is Doctor Who sexist? I mean, it's. Yeah, I mean, you know, Polly doesn't really get a very proactive role in this. You know, she just she's either screaming or mooching about or getting captured, screaming some more, getting captured some more, uh, crying some more. It's it's really not a very good showcase for Polly. You know, which is quite a surprise given that um, in the Highlanders she's actually quite a tough cookie and she's constantly telling Kirsty actually to. You know, it's a button it when she starts blubbing like a baby. So it is quite it is quite a surprise that they make her into such a cliched whiny screamer in this. And I think despite, you know, the best efforts of Annika Wills, I, I really don't think it's a, um it's a successful portrayal of a companion, really. <clears throat> so the doctor is now meeting Thaus, I think his name is, who's played by Noel Johnson. And I think that the uh, the Dick Barton stories, I think. I'm, I'm not sure. But he he come back again, I do know, in uh, Invasion of the Dinosaurs as, uh, as Grover. Yeah, I, th I think we're about to um we're about to see the Doctor's silent movie description of uh of Zaroth. When he when he when he does this really uh really interesting um, it's a really interesting choice of, um, you know, sort of, um, yeah, knocking his head and putting his hand to his ear. Yeah, no answer. That, that's great. It's, um, it's, it's little things like that that we miss in the surviving episodes. And I think it's so cruelly ironic that this, you know, the doctor who mostly relies on facial expressions and little quirks like that. I think it's so cruelly ironic that most of these episodes are missing from the archives. But having said that, I think we're um, I think we're in a better position than we were, say, forty years ago, um, when I remember reading the um, the Peter Haining book, A Celebration, and at the back of it there is a list of what was in the archives and what was not in the archives, 
And the uh, the amount of episodes that were missing, both in the William Hartnell and Patrick Charlton era episodes, was staggering. I hadn't realised. I thought all Doctor Who was in the archives because you foolishly believe at that age. Oh right, yeah. Well, I've you know I've read the books and it says in the uh, the introduction based on the BBC TV series. Blah 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 blah. So I thought that you know all the all the art, all the stories were available in the archives, but of course they weren't. Um, and it was staggering how many episodes were were missing. But today, you know, we've got we've got Team of Cybermen, we've got Enemy of the World, we've got most of the Web of Fear, we've got four episodes of the Ice Warriors, um, we've got um at the time there wasn't, you know, there wasn't all of the war machines and the time meddler in the archives. So I th- I think we're in a, a much better position than um than other archive TV shows of uh, of of that age, which are completely missing today. So I, I think actually we're in quite a better position. Obviously, I'd I'd love it if all Doctor Who missing episodes were found tomorrow. That'd be wonderful. Um, but even if even if no more are discovered, then I think it's still it's still quite a good position to be in. Unlike the Doctor and Ramo, who are um, uh, about to be uh, captured by Zaroff again. So that was the end of uh, the Underwater Menace episode two. I uh, hope you enjoyed the uh, looking back on it with me today. Uh, join me again for episode three. Oh, that should be uh, <laughs> that should be interesting. Um, but anyway, in the meantime, thank you very much for uh, for joining me, and uh, hope to be with you again soon. Thank you very much for now. Bye.